This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. Are you left wanting more at the end of each episode of this show? Are these short sessions getting you fired up to try new skills for yourself and share the journey with others who are working through the same challenges? Well, the good news is that this podcast is only the beginning. The real action and learning is happening on the Regenerative Skills Discord channel, where you can connect with the whole community to dive deeper into the topics on the show, explore solutions, and share your journey and blooper reel with an active group that can't wait to hear from you. You can get your questions answered and share knowledge and wisdom of your own on a safe platform that, unlike the social media giants, won't steal your personal data to advertise to you in creepy ways. Ditch Facebook and join us where the real skill builders are. Just find the link to the Discord chat on the homepage at regenerativeskills.com. Hello and welcome back, everyone. This is part two of the conversation started last week with Akiva Silver, the co-owner of Twisted Tree Nursery and Homestead. If you haven't yet heard the first part of this interview, you can find the link in the show notes for this episode on the website at regenerativeskills.com. Those of you who tuned in last week will remember that one of the first projects that I encourage people to do when starting any land-based project, really, is to start a plant nursery. Not only will you get to start the long process of coaxing plants into maturity, which is really worth beginning as soon as possible because it can take some time, but also you can learn valuable plant care and propagation in the process. Planting your own nursery can also save you money when you eventually begin planting out your design. And if you enjoy it enough and can find a market for your saplings and your seedlings, you can make really good money selling nursery stock as well. There are also real advantages to growing your own plants in the soil and the environment where they're going to grow up so that they get the chance to acclimate rather than suffer a harsh adjustment from the heated greenhouse and chemical fertilizers that are so common in most plant nurseries. Now back in the first portion of this episode, we dove into how Akiva first began to propagate trees and his transition into making a business out of it and supporting his family by growing plants. We also got into all kinds of propagation methods and where and how to find the best materials for growing nursery stock. Now in this week, I'll conclude this interview by exploring how to build a business around growing plants that you love, improving your soil enough that you can eliminate fertilizers and other inputs, and the maintenance and care of your nursery through the different seasons and the sales and marketing side of the business, of course, too. With that said, I'll hand things over now to Akiva. What are some of the characteristics, aside from just uh, an unusual specimen, that you look for when you're selecting seeds or propagation material from your surrounding environment? So for me, I really like um, things that add to a wildlife habitat or things that are just I just think I like things that are like a lot, you know, some people are really into like flavor or like uh, ornamental quality or like, so whatever you're really into, you know, maybe you see something that's just covered in like these flowers that are really significant. Um, but for me, it's always like, oh my God, like you can't even see the ground there because so many nuts fell down. You know, um, I like that abundance. I like seeing overwhelming abundance. I like seeing a tree that's making, 20 times as much as heavy a crop as all the other species as all the other trees around it of the same species. Um, so when I see a tree doing something exceptional like that, where it's just more than loaded, you know, it's more than a heavy crop. It's a ridiculous crop. Then that tree will not leave my brain. Like I'll know it. And um, 
so yeah i think that's mostly what i look for is just like really and then i also look at the quality of the food you know like hickories i like finding hickories that have big nuts um that's pretty exciting to me yeah i've learned to do similar things especially here with my partner since i moved here to spain there's fig trees everywhere and they have a pretty long fruiting season depending on the variety and every time we go to a new area or just a new region and right. find a new tree, if, if yeah, you pick out all the best fruit and you're like, okay, I'm going to come back in February and get some cuttings from that. The best one I found so far was growing right next to a bunch of dumpsters outside of uh, a town somewhere. And I'll always remember that tree because it had, it had figs like the size right. of my fist and I went back to go get some cuttings. Yeah, that's awesome. And in Spain, it's like there must be figs that people planted centuries ago that just, you know, and then the homestead was abandoned. And like, there's just got to be so many varieties. To there, there really is. And especially with those really long living ones, like you'll get olive trees around here that are easily 500 plus years old. And you can just see in these massive trunks and the, the fig trees are cool because they go and they they go propagating themselves by layering. And you'll get a whole bunch of kids just sprouting up from when the, the branches got too heavy. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll readily, those are, figs are really easy to propagate and like really satisfying. You can turn one plant into a lot pretty fast. Yeah, you certainly can. That's definitely one I would recommend from my own experiences of like an easy one to build your confidence. <laughs> right. Yeah. If I was in a warmer climate, I would be all over figs. Oh, man, I got to send you a book about growing figs in cold climates. There's hope for you. <laughs> Is that the Lee Reich book? Yeah, it's the same one. Cool. Okay, so let's focus back on uh, one of the unique things about your own orchard and, and nursery is that you claim that since you're, you're really adamant about not using any chemicals, fertilizers, or even minimal amounts of plastic when it's avoidable, how do you manage the fertility and ensure that the trees get a good start? I assume this goes back to what your advice was on spending money on building soil. Yeah. Um, well, for one thing I'll say is trees don't need a lot of fertility compared to vegetables or flowers. Um, in fact, they can do pretty well with really low fertility. They'll just grow a little bit slower, which is often better, at least in Northern climates. Cause, uh, if you have really high fertility in the north, what happens is the tree grows really fast and it's really fun, but then uh, it, it doesn't stop growing in the late summer and then we'll get a frost and the wood will not have hardened off properly and you'll get a significant amount of winter dieback. So in a lot of my beds, I'm actually trying to reduce fertility because I have added so much compost over the years that the beds are too fertile. So now I actually am doing things like adding untreated charcoal, not biochar, just charcoal, um, sawdust, just things to soak up the nitrogen because I actually have too much. Um, but uh, I think the, the best thing that you can really do for tree fertility is uh, fungally dominated soils, which is going to be uh, lots of carbon, you know, wood chips, sawdust and leaves stuff like that and then less disturbance the least amount of disturbance possible so i just try to keep my soils really carbon heavy and uh i don't i don't i don't ever buy uh, fertilizer for for trees 
ever. I would think that would be like a bad idea, to be honest. Yeah, even if sense. it was organic or not. Well, yeah, so it might give you like the the look or the aesthetics that a customer might like when they receive the the plant material, I guess. But even then, well, you're selling them with. For, it wouldn't for my customers because I'm just selling bare root plants that are dormant. Yeah, if that's I was selling stuff in like the summer in a pot. Then yes, you're right. Yeah, but since they're gonna lose all their leaves anyway, you're harvesting them in the dormant stage. Even that doesn't really matter. And if they're gonna have all that dieback, I mean you're kind of selling to a different clientele at this point, right? You're not just selling these beautiful, mostly mature trees with a whole bunch of root bound roots in a small pot. These are more for people who understand the value of healthy genetic material that can grow more or less wildly. And I would imagine at much lower maintenance for the way that it was raised in the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, I'm really lucky that we have like pretty educated customer base and that they understand they're getting uh fairly small trees compared to what you see outside of uh, box stores um you know most of our stuff is probably like two feet tall and uh just with a nice healthy root system and there's no pot there's no soil and there's no leaves so it just looks like a stick with some roots really um and uh it's it's but they grow you know they grow well So let's go back to the differences between growing a regular annual garden of vegetables and such and growing trees like this. Um, I would imagine that the maintenance is quite a bit different too. And what does that look like throughout different seasons and different points of necessary maintenance for the business side throughout the year? Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty cold climate. I'm in New York state zone five. So it gets, you know, uh, I guess a lot of your people are in Europe. Uh, I don't know Celsius that well, but it gets to about negative 15, negative 20 Fahrenheit, um, which is way below zero Celsius. Um, and uh, so our winters are fairly extreme and pretty long. We get our first frost, usually the first week in October. And then our last frost will be in... Um, like the middle of May, usually, sometimes later. Um, And so basically, in the spring, as soon as the ground thaws, I'm planting, um, I'm putting seeds in. And there's different species, right? So some species I don't put in until after danger of frost, and some I put in right away. Um, And then so early April, as soon as the ground thaws out, I'm planting. And, and then we're also shipping um, pretty much all of April is just planting and shipping. And then May, we're still planting stuff. And, uh, and, and then we're actually starting to weed. It rains a lot here and we get a lot of weeds. Um, and then May, June, July, August is really just a lot of maintenance. It's not even that much work, to be honest. Like it's as much work as I want it to be. Um, usually I just start taking on other projects around the farm and make it more work but uh it doesn't have to be like if it's just a nursery and you're just like i just want to grow some trees and make some money then you just start your beds in the spring plant a bunch of seeds or cuttings out let them grow all summer at the end of the summer or in the fall they go dormant then i dig them up count them grade them decide what i'm going to list on the website 
and then uh, and then they get healed in. So I just put them in a bundle and bury them back into the earth, but they're already dug up. So when so then when spring comes and I'm taking orders, somebody got five of this elderberry and ten of that chestnut. Just go and grab those trees. Uh, I don't have to dig them back up. They're just in these piles under some dirt, and um, so and then and then after. So I, let me start over. I'll make it really simple. So spring planting, summer weeding and mulching, fall is digging up the trees, and then winter is nothing. And uh, I, if all I was doing was like digging up trees and selling trees, um, and I'm just trying to make a living for myself, then I think you know it, it wouldn't. It would only be like once your beds are built, it's not that much work. Like having like a 10 hour work week would be plenty for the, for most of the year, other than the shipping season. Shipping is quite a bit of work. So what are the tasks then that, that take most of your time? Is it really just fulfilling orders and making sure that they get out in that shipping you were just talking about? Or are yeah. there a couple of like yeah, high season that it goes in waves like that? Yeah. I mean, fulfilling orders takes the most time by far. Um, and then, uh, digging up the plants themselves takes a lot of time, especially the bigger the plants are, the more time it takes because um, you have to take more care and it's harder to get them out of the ground and stuff. Uh, if you're growing stuff that's two or three years old, it, it can be pretty heavy digging. Um, so yeah, nothing really feels like that much work to be honest. I know like everyone says like farming is so hard, but it's, I don't think it's that hard. But I don't know. Maybe I'm stupid or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something. But, well, you do have kind of a unique focus for your farm. What's that? You do kind of have a unique focus for your farm. It's not like you're trying to get a ton of beef cattle out the door. Right. Yeah. Maybe it's like because you're selling, like you dig up a chestnut tree and it takes you like a minute and it's, you know, it's like a $10 tree. Or if you're digging up a carrot, it might take if you're doing it by hand, it's, it's almost the same amount of time, but it's worth a lot more than the carrots. So I think a vegetable farmer has to work harder. Like they have to sell more plants that they've dug up than uh, nur nursery stock is worth a lot of money. Um, and a lot of that is because of the genetics involved. Most of that is, is having access to really exciting genetics, exciting to your customers. Yeah, for sure. Now, how do you handle the sales and the marketing part of your plants? We touched on this a little bit at the beginning, how you sort of built up a market and buyers from pretty unconventional methods, kind of just selling on Craigslist and then getting a part of different groups and planting societies. What is the, the main strategy that you have now? Or are you mostly coasting off of the relationships that you built earlier on? Um, I think we have like a pretty good presence on the internet to our website. Um, it gets enough hits that it shows up in Google searches. So if somebody in the United States is just Googling like anything about chestnut trees and they read far enough, they're going to find our page. Um, you know, same for mulberries or pretty much any of the trees that I've written about enough make it so that I think we get enough Google hits that uh, it just shows up.
locations where heads near you. Oh, that's weird. Sorry. <laughs> like, Google thing. I think I, I said that word. Yeah, yeah. They heard you talking about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I think just the internet presence, you know, I used to like go on forums and try to promote our website and, and like tell people that I had this farm. But uh, I haven't, I haven't like tried to do that in a really long time. Um, because uh, the internet presence is so much bigger than my little farm can handle, really. Like, it's just a little farm. It's just supporting me and a couple people. And, uh, but it's like reaching like tens of thousands of people. It's like, it's a little bit out of balance um, in a good way, but it's, it's, it's a little obscene sometimes. Well, I guess I didn't even ask that. Did Give the listeners some idea of the scale and the volume that you're at. So how big is the farm and about how many, um, I guess, yearlings, uh, I assume is what you tend to sell of tree stock. So it's, it's a 20 acre farm and uh, the nursery takes up one acre and we probably raise 20,000 plants on it for sale every year. Yeah. So you're not even using a fraction of that to actually cultivate in the nursery itself the, right. the, the, the other 19 acres are focused on other things yeah just orchard just planting lots of orchards and stuff uh for fun but also really for plant stock you know like to be able to develop our own seed strains and have cuttings of you know i have like i'm kind of building like a plant collection up there so there's like over 100 varieties of berries and um lot of different there's there's probably six or seven acres of chestnuts huge uh genetic expression in them uh three acres of hazelnuts and, and then there's a lot of these mixed orchards with persimmons and elderberries and just like every kind of weird fruit i could think of um and i just add to it every year um and and it's, it's kind of cool because if i you know i'm just looking around at different nurseries that I like and then I'm like oh they have a new variety this year this or that or this thing I've never tried and then I grow it and if it grows well then we can grow it out then we can take cuttings from it and propagate it or we can just sell cuttings from it um and then um then there's just all the fruit and nuts that just that's like uh, just another bonus um but the nursery pays for the orchards to exist and then the orchards then feed the nursery and make it stronger and better um yeah yeah it's great how those things work together now i'm curious you were talking about developing new genetics and such what are the projects that you're working on at the moment that you're most excited about and see a future for um probably the two biggest things that i really think are happening there's a lot of different ideas but the biggest things that are actually happening right now is chestnut flour and hazelnut oil. Um, and that's because I'm part of a co-op. So there's a group of us, I think there's probably 10 growers in it. It's called the New York Tree Crops Alliance. And we just been uh, working together and we're building a nut processing facility. So we got like an oil press and we got some cracking machines and we just got this huge grant. So we're going to buy a bunch more processing equipment. That's like really exciting to see. Um, and then within the chestnut and hazelnut production, there's also the genetics of those two genus, genuses that um, 
pretty uh, excited about. Like I've been planting chestnuts on that hill for a while now and hazelnuts as well. And I've just, the whole time, like every year, I've been adding as many different strains as I can. And so now I'm starting to see some of those things bear nuts. And it's kind of cool because they weren't clones that I put in. They were all seedlings. Um, there are some clones, but there's a lot of seedlings. And so you don't really know what they're going to do. You know, like somebody from Michigan sent me like 20 seeds 10 years ago. And now I'm like, oh, that's what these do. Um, and it's kind of exciting. And then you can cross them with others and you can make all kinds of exciting new new trees. Yeah, I really like that aspect about the way that you propagate these is that you really do go for the genetic diversity, whereas most, uh, I guess, nurseries of any kind focus mostly on particular varieties that have a commercial use and they just clone those for the most part. What's the importance about creating this larger genetic uh, base to, to sell things, but also to, to propagate for your own interests? I think that, I think there's a good place for clones for sure. Um, but I like the genetic expression of seedlings because it is so different, you know, like there's things that they will have that we don't even know are problems yet. You know, like they, they have solutions to problems that haven't yet arisen. Um, so like, for example, there's, um, the, there's all these different species of chestnut. And uh, one of them is the Ozark chinkapin is, uh, is one very rare and obscure species of chestnut, but it just happens to be the only one in the world that is resistant to chestnut gall wasp. And so, um, which just showed up in our area. So it's kind of cool. Like if you have that, if you have like these hybrids and these, these hybrid swarms, basically like trees that have the genetics of like, you know, eight different species of chestnut in them. Then they have all of these, because I, the way I think of genetics is kind of like knowledge. So if you have, uh, you know, like a Chinese chestnut, so all, so let me back up. All chestnuts start in one place, in my opinion, right? Like there was one area where the genus formed and this tree made a spiky burr with chestnuts in it. And then its population got segmented by continental drift and mountain ranges and all kinds of whatever factors happen in these species got separated and then you now you have these ones in america and ones in japan and ones in europe but all this time passes and while they're separated from each other they learn to adapt to different things so the japanese chestnut is out there and it's learning all about chestnut blight this fungus the fungus cryphonectria parasitica and then the american species is learning about extreme cold hardiness because it goes all the way up into maine where it's negative 50 fahrenheit it can survive and so they learn all these different things. So it's like each species has different knowledge. And then within the species, individuals have different knowledge. There's different populations that learn different things. And so when we grow seedlings of, especially of hybrids, we're like combining knowledge. And, you know, so you can combine the cold hardiness of the American with the disease resistance of the Japanese. And you can just find trees that are really resilient and that that's why like uh i i mean it's like the world's changing clones are evolutionary dead ends like they don't keep changing once you make a clone of something it's the same and it's predictable but the world's not predictable and so you've got to have 
it's going to be flowing like as new generations of plants are coming on to this changing world they have to adapt to the climate so what might have been great 300 years ago might not be that great right now uh, we don't even have the same kind of soils anymore even like the atmosphere is like charged differently and so i think if we're growing seedlings out they're not all going to be great they're definitely not all going to be bad and some of them are going to be perfect for this time and place so that's why i like seedlings i just think they're cool and they're you know clones are cool but it's a little weird to think about it no i totally agree with you it's one of the things i really connected with in your writing in your book uh and with that said can you tell our listeners how they can find your farm and the products that you have on offer as well as some of your writings Sure. Um, if you look up Twisted Tree Farm, you'd find us. And uh, I wrote two books. Uh, one is called Trees of Power. And it's just about how to propagate trees. And um, it highlights 10 different species that I think are really important. And it, it talks about uh, just kind of my whole approach to growing and our role in the world. And then I wrote this other book called The Conversation, which is uh, totally different. It's just more about life and how we're in a conversation with it and uh yeah so i haven't read that one i really like the premise of it i read some of the the promo for it on i think it was on your website or on chelsea green it sounds fascinating yeah and both those books are on my website but they're also on amazon super well i'll make sure to put links to all of those in the show notes for this episode and akiva thanks so much for taking the time to explain about what you do and your passion for it well thanks for talking with me oliver really nice All right, thanks once again to Akiva Silver. You can find out more about Akiva's work through the Twisted Tree Nursery website and find his book Trees of Power at ChelseaGreen.com, all of which I have linked to in the show notes for this episode at RegenerativeSkills.com. I also highly recommend checking out the catalog of their plants that they have available on the Twisted Tree Nursery online store for inspiration of all the high-value saplings that you could grow. Now, before you go, remember that these episodes are only the beginning of the ongoing conversations happening around these topics on the Regenerative Skills Discord server. It's always free to you, and unlike other social media platforms that were created with complex algorithms used to mine your personal data in order to sell you a bunch of junk, this channel was created for the free exchange of ideas, stories, and mutual support among the growing regenerative pioneers. Now, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be exploring questions there like, What trees or other plants in your area are endangered or in need of protection? Are there ways that you could offer certain varieties or perhaps added value options to regular nursery stock? Things such as grafted trees or truffle inoculated saplings or planting packages to set your business apart from all of the others. I'm getting to the point where I'm seriously looking at starting a nursery business as an aspect of the property that I'm going to be developing in the next year. So stay tuned in coming episodes as I'll be creating a lot more journal type content of the design and the development of my first personal project since leaving the farm in Guatemala. I'm really excited for this in the upcoming season and there's a lot coming up real soon, so stay tuned. Now that's our show for this week. Don't forget to keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future and I'll be right by your side along the way.